Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. We exist to be a life-giving church in our community that helps people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Here you will find weekly sermons and teachings from our Sunday services. Let's dive into this week's message. If you have your Bible, we're going to start out in one particular verse in Psalms, Psalms chapter 34. It's, it's where the prayer for this season is at. It's where I've come along and, and said, you know what, if there was one thing when we're talking about coming home for Christmas, this is kind of my prayer for all of us this Christmas season. We're excited about everything coming up. I want to remind you just so you can pencil it in. We will have a Christmas Eve service. It will be here in the past. We've done different locations, but it's going to be here at four o'clock. Our commitment to you is that we're going to start at four o'clock and we will be done prior to five o'clock. And so if you have plans that night, you got family coming in, let me tell you something. There is no greater tradition in a family than Christmas Eve going to a Christmas Eve service. It is awesome. Get in that habit. Make plans to do that. Uh, but anyways, we talk about Christmas. We talk about everything. There's one prayer, and I just want to read it for you. I read it last week in kicking off this series, but it's Psalm chapter 34, Psalm chapter 34, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And I talked about very quickly, and I'm not going to re-preach the introduction every single week, but I talked about the aspect of in the Old Testament, they would use bodily attributes to describe different things. And the aspect of taste in the Old Testament is the aspect of experience. And it's literally saying, my prayer for us, not just during December and Christmas, but even running into all of next year, is I pray that we experience Jesus. And that we see that he is good. And that as a man or a woman, that you can take refuge in him. And that the fear, and the fear I told you last week, is not like, woo like this ain't a horror movie. Like, oh, something's going to jump out and get me. No, the fear is the aspect of respect. It's the aspect of putting him in his right place. And if you will put him in the right place of your life, he says, and you won't lack nothing. Now, we are not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel church. So I'm not telling you, hey, if you love Jesus, then you're just going to, you know, be a multi-billionaire. I'm not telling you that. But the things that you need, God will provide. And what's so amazing about God is he'll even give you some of the things you want when he knows it won't cause your own destruction. I'm not going to preach this message today, but I'll go ahead and tell you. Some of the reasons why you don't have some of the things you're praying for is because if God gave you that, it would destroy you. You just need to know that his ways are higher than your ways. His knowledge is bigger than your knowledge. And he's going to give you everything that you need and to help you move forward. And so that's the prayer. The prayer is that this holiday season, like, like did everybody, if you didn't get here, did anybody get a cookie this morning? You got a gingerbread and a, them things were warm. Like I, my weakness is warm chocolate chip cookies. If you said, Mickey, you could have any dessert in the world, you give me a hot chocolate chip cookie. And I'm like, that, that is, um, I want it not, I don't want it to scald my tongue, but I want it to get real close. And I want to be able to have to drink the milk real quick because it was kind of hot. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I want to thank our amazing, amazing teams and dream teamers. Can you guys make some, they are really killing it. Our backdrop out here for you to take pics. And we're doing all that because we're wanting you to experience something. We're wanting to put you in your Christmas fields. We wanted you to walk in and to smell those cookies and think, whoo, you know, 
Like the older I got, I remember being little, and, and I had a dad that, that was so hilarious. It's, it's probably where I get my sense of humor from if I do have that. And it's one of those things that, that I can remember at night. I'd be like, Dad, we need to make Santa some cookies. And he's like, you know, son, what Santa really likes, and he'll really leave you some good gifts, is if you make him some eggs and bacon. And, pe- and we would start making all this food. My mother, I never knew why my mom was looking at him the way that she was looking at him. And now as I got older, I realized <laughs> he's pretty good, you know what I'm saying? But walking in here and smelling those cookies and smelling and having that milk, it just, it just puts you in this sense of, like, comfort, right? It's just like, whew. And I want you to know that today, today's message, it's that type of a message. I want to help you to be able to simply take a breath. I want to help you take a breath, and, and I want to hopefully get you to see yourself the way God sees you and to understand a role that I don't think you realize that you have. Last week, to me, the, the climax of last week's message was, was the simple aspect of remember who you are as far as a son or a daughter and straighten up your crown. And today, I, I want you to remember not just to straighten up your crown, but I also want you to take a breath. And so in this series of Coming Home, today's message is literally entitled Celebrate, and we're going to be in Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 17. And you will see the scriptures up on the screen, but you can get on your phone or on your tablets, or if you have a paper back Bible, feel free to do that. I encourage people to highlight and write and make notes in their Bible. You're like, oh, I can't write in the Word. Well, yes, you can, and it's really good and help you to be edifying of the saints. So write in that thing. But let's start right in smack dab of the middle of this story of the prodigal son. And, and just to set it up, the, the son has went to the dad. He said, Dad, I want my stuff. I want to leave. I'm going to go do it my way. And the dad said, okay, here's your inheritance. Here's what you have. Go do it your way. And he's left. And he has found himself running through everything and literally with the pigs. And we pick up. God's word in verse 17. But when he came to himself, this is the prodigal son it's referring to, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, underline these words if you have a paper Bible, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Just so you'll understand what's going on is is in this prodigal story, and if you've been around church life or in Bible studies, you've probably heard this story before, but I I, I was just studying it, and and I actually told our staff, and I told my wife, I was like, with this coming home series, I know one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do the prodigal son. That just seems too easy. And that's why you don't say stuff like that, because here I am doing the prodigal son. And I couldn't get it off my mind, and I kept studying it, because there was something different that I realized about this story. And I think there's something different that's going on in our culture right now. Like, when I think about the prodigal son and, and him being spent, and him being hungry, and him having needs, and him being to the point where his worth is, he's like, look, I'm no longer, I'm going to go to back to my dad. And I'm going to say, listen, I... I've messed up. I don't even expect you to accept me. I don't even, I'm not worthy 
to carry your name. All I'm asking is, can I be a servant? Can I put that in modern day terms? Listen, I'm not asking to be a part of the family again. I'm just asking, will you give me a job? I'm at rock bottom. The things I wrote down in my notes is, is the son, he felt shame, he felt unworthy, and he'd lost all hope. But it was amazing to me that, that in, this, in this major moment of unworthiness and shame, the thing that was built in his mind the most was what? Going home. Like when I think about here at Crossroads and we're talking about home for Christmas, I, I can't get it out of my head of if somebody comes home, what do they get? What do they receive? What do we think is worth going home to? And for this young man, when he found himself at the bottom of the bottom, he said, you know what? I've got nowhere else to go. I might as well just go home. In 30 years of ministry, there's been many times where unfortunate situations have led to a person getting to a stage in their health or in their sickness, and they say, there's nothing else we can do. I give you a week. I give you a few days. I give you a month. And most of the time, those patients that get that horrible news knowing that they are approaching death's door and they have nothing left, their only last request is, just let me go home. I just, just want to go home and pass at my place, my place where, where my people dwell, my place where the love is, my place that, that no matter what's happening, and if you've ever experienced one of those moments and, and they bring in the, 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 the gurney-type style bed and they have different uh, medicines they're on and there's, there's hoses and there's IVs and there's all kinds of different things that are going on. And, and for the family, it's some of the toughest times of life. But after the passing, it's some of the most memorable. And it's one of those things that I think it's intriguing that, that sometimes it takes us getting to a place of having nothing left that we realize I had everything I ever wanted at my home. I've never saw somebody at the end of the stage of life saying, listen, I've only got a few weeks left. Will you take me to my office? I want to go to my office. It's where I've spent majority of my time. It's where I neglected my family. It's where I built my life in this amazing wealth. I heard, I've never heard anybody say, hey, I want you to take me to the bank. Put me by that safety deposit box. Put me by my favorite teller. I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say, hey, take me to the bank. Lisa, if I did, I would pick you, though. I'd say, take me to Lisa Humphreys. Put me by her desk. But I've never heard, any, I've never heard anybody say, hey, do me a favor, just... Just put me in my back seat. I love this car. I love every, like, let me, like, I've only got a few moments left. Just put me in the back seat. I've heard of people that have 
tried to take one more last trip with their family to a special place that was maybe vacation. But I've never heard anybody say, hey, just let's go down there and dwell. When people get to the end of the rope, the amazing thing is the place they want to go is always the same place. They say, let me just go home. In fact, I know one couple. I thought it was one of the most amazing, generous, really cool things I'd ever seen. The gentleman had been battling cancer, and he got to the end of the fight as far as the living side of cancer. And him and his wife had gotten a divorce, and, and they were no longer living together, and he no longer had a place to stay because of other things that he had made as far as decisions, as far as traveling and doing some missionary work. And I never forget, when he, when he got to death's door, his ex-wife said, come home. And she put him up in a separate bedroom. And she took care of him during those final days. And there was a, there was a central location that the kids could come and they can come hang out. And it took that tragedy to have a home again. The first thing I want you to think about is where are you at? Like I told you, I want to give you a breath. I'm going to give you a breath. Listen to me. But don't wait for tragedy for you to realize what really matters to you. Like this Christmas, don't wait till December the 24th to go, oh my goodness, I got people coming in. Like just like you have prepared for what's to come. Like we're down to three weeks. A bunch of you just threw up on yourself, didn't you? (laughs) Until Christmas Day. And some of you have been preparing since October. Some of you love Hobby Lobby because you've been preparing since, since March. But I wonder what we do as a church and as individuals spiritually in preparing. But that's not what intrigued me the most about this story because I feel like that's, that's been told a lot. What intrigued me was the father's perspective. The son comes to him unworthy and shame, and listen to how he's received. It's in the next verses. We'll pick it up. Verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be, well, let me back up one more. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. I want you to think for a second. I want you to think if you have a child, if that child was to come to you and and say all kinds of names to you and say, just give me what's mine and I'm gonna go run off. And they go blow it and they make horrible decisions, so much so that they're eating with the swine. And I can only imagine this father had to be a praying father. But I love the fact that he was never so busy in life that he missed his son from a long way off. See, what I realized is the only way, the only way The father saw his son a long way off as he had to be looking. I have a feeling that on a regular basis, that dad where he lived 
In my mind, this is not in God's word. This is Mickey's translation. I believe he probably had a little place that was a little bit in a valley, and there was only one way to enter. And, and, and so he probably was looking down, and he kind of knew. I could just imagine him every day, a couple, three, four, five times a day, looking down in the middle of everything he's doing, just saying, mm, gosh, I wish my son was coming. Ah, oh, I wish my son was coming. And he never forgot who his son was. It said he was a long ways off. He saw him, and he recognized him. Now, if anybody's ever seen anybody that's gotten into some sort of addiction or or struggles or, or has been eating with the swine, there's probably a whole lot about that person that's changed. But this father knew his son so well from his posture, from the way he walked, that despite what the world had done to him, it was not going to taint him for what he saw as his son. I believe as a church, that's one of the things that we have to do. We've got to make sure that we don't let the world define the way we look at people. We need to remember who people really are called to be and what God can do in their life. And to be able to look and recognize from a long ways off and not look at them with the shame and the unworthiness but to look at them with the words that, can I read right out of here? His father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go visit somebody, even when I come home from work, no matter how my day has been, whether it's been really high or it may have been a little bit low, The way that I am embraced when I walk in the door makes all the difference in the world. Like you can just tell when you walk in the house what type of day everybody's had. That's one of the reasons why I love having kids. You ever notice that most of the time kids, they don't ever have a bad day. Like usually if they're having a bad day, it's because you've made them have a bad day because you had a bad day. And it's one of those things just to watch them come and run and jump and daddy's home and, and it's like, it's just amazing, right? But could you imagine, could you imagine this Christmas to like have a long driveway and all of a sudden that one family member, you've been praying, like you, they ain't been to Christmas in years. Something's happened, they felt shame, they feel unworthy, y'all been fighting and, and you don't even remember what you're fighting about. It was such a big deal that you don't even remember what it was. And all of a sudden you saw them. Now, the human side of you is going to be like, I cannot believe they would show up. But what I'm telling you is the spiritual side of you should run and embrace and kiss them. And then I love what the the son says. The son literally is very appropriate. You can tell that he's been humbled because he says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, listen, you need to ask yourself the question, during Christmas and for the rest of my life, who's going to have the main influence? Are actions going to be what influences us, or is your decisions going to be what influence you? Are circumstances going to define your family, or are you going to be the one that defines what the circumstances mean? Because the the son comes and says, "I, I, I have sinned against you. In heaven, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
You left, and I was the main influence. And when you come back, I'm still the main influence. And so don't tell me. Now, he didn't say it like this. But he's basically in his mind saying, don't don't tell me where your place is. I will define where your place is. And listen what he does. Amazing. And you've heard this before, but I want to give you a little bit of a twist to it. But quickly, all right, bringing quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And he said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead, is now alive. He was lost, and now he is found. See, the, the, the father immediately, where the son was coming in all of his shame and all of his unworthiness, just willing to be a servant, the father said, but you ain't a servant. I don't, I'm not worthy to be your son, but you are my son. You will never not be my son. Let me just be a servant. No, no, you're higher than that. He called out to the servants, the people that he was wanting to be. And he says, you guys go and serve my son by getting me the best robe, by getting me shoes to put on his feet. But the thing that intrigued me this week is it said he put a ring on his hand. And I started just getting lost in that. Because I started thinking about all of our married couples. You know, there's a time in your life when you said, I do. And your significant other put a ring on your hand. And it was an aspect of love and respect and honor. And I started thinking, you know what? If there's ever an institution that God has given that we try to dumb down, It's marriage. I can remember me and Amy Lou. If I didn't have to be at school, I wasn't at school. Why? Because I wanted to be as close as I could to Amy Lou without breaking God's word. And it's one of those things that we, we were two and a half hours apart. I could make it in two hours. You said, you ever get a ticket? Nope. Had God's favor on my life. In fact, there were times I had to be at school, but I wasn't at school. Why? Because I was still in Murfreesboro. There were times that it come to be Sunday night, and I would be staying with her and her parents. I had my own little guest room, and it's like, man, I really need to go. I, you know, I got class at 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, you probably need to get on the road. And I'd start to get everything packed up, and I'd be like, you know, I can get there in two hours. How about I wake up and we leave at 6 o'clock in the morning? And you know what? When Amy put a ring on this finger, it wasn't a ring of settling. You know what, 25 years later, I think about this ring, and, and I don't take my ring off because to me, it's a ring of honor. Do you know how many men get to wear a ring that said they're married to Amy Lou? You looking at him. At least that's all the ones she tells me about. 
And it's one of those things that, that when I think about what marriage is, what marriage is, is is hard to explain, but I'll tell you what marriage is not. What marriage is not is 25 years later being like, yeah, I mean, I need to go and get back to work. I don't, I don't need to spend any extra time. Well, you know, I mean, that's a two-hour drive up there and just to go shopping, and then we got to drive all the way back. I mean, I, mean, I don't have any plans. I mean, I, 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 mean, I just want to watch a football game, but, I mean, I mean, if you really... You know what 25 years later is? Yeah, I, I ain't got to be there till 8 o'clock. We can stay out by the fire till about 6 in the morning. And it's recognizing that what you have on your finger should change the rest of your body. Because listen to me. I promise if you're a married couple, I don't care if things are going great or if there's some real struggles. And let me tell you something. Marriage is hard. Marriage is a choice. I'm not going to sit here and act like everything's just butterfly and rainbows. Like there was one time that Amy thought I was wrong. Luckily, I was right, so I'm still perfect on that side. (laughs) But it's one of those things, listen to me. Sometimes we forget whose we are and who we're with. And I started realizing, you know what my wedding ring is? It's a reminder of my place. Now, here's what's amazing to me is this dad, he sees this son that's unworthy and he's feeling shame. He runs and embraces him and he gets, he gets the robe, which I think, oh, that'd be cool, you know, because he probably smelled like pigs, right? He gets him some shoes and his feet were probably nasty. But then he reminded him of his place. He gave him a ring and said, bro, you listen to me. You belong. It's so they didn't turn around and have an emotional kumbaya and sit around the fire and, and, and share stories of the past. The dad didn't turn around and say, okay, son, I'd, I'd love to invite you back, but I need to know, you know, how are things going? What have you been doing? You know, like, like do you have any of the money left? I mean, I've, I've heard some rumors. You know, I've been, been going down to the, you know, local uh, church and, uh, you know, that we've, we've been praying for you. And, and in those prayers, I've heard a lot of different things that they said that you were, you know, over here in Babylon. I heard about that trip, you know. What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon, but it didn't. And I heard about the He didn't do any of that. You know what he did? Let me read the last part, the very last scripture. For this is my son. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then listen to these words. And they began to celebrate. You let me tell you what we don't do real well. Celebrate. We want people to, to live in forgiveness and to admit that they're wrong and to admit that we were right. I mean, it would have been very easy for this dad to be like, dude, I told you. I told you. I told you. I mean, yeah, I'll let you come back, but before you do, I need you to go apologize to your mama for everything you did to her. I'd like a little bit of that on myself. I'd like for you to just acknowledge the fact that, you know, dad, you were right. I was wrong. And, 
he didn't do any of that. You know what he did? He celebrated. You want me to tell you why he celebrated? Because people that make a home are worth celebrating. If you've ever lost a loved one and went through Christmas, that first Christmas without that loved one, it just feels different. It doesn't feel like home. For some of you, you've had various trials in your life and you may have had a relationship or a marriage that's ended and and that first holiday afterwards was tough. Like if you were normal, you probably were struggling with whether or not to put up a Christmas tree. If you had kids, it, it probably made it a little bit easier, but it was, it was tough. And that first Christmas, it didn't feel like home. See, you know what I'm realizing is, is there's two things that make home. It's God and godly people. And when things get a little bit off, And when godly people quit focusing on God, guess what? All of a sudden, we lose a sense of home. You say, well, Mickey, how do we battle that? Listen to me. Learn to celebrate. Not judge, not reprimand, not talk about, not belittle. Learn to celebrate. Like this Christmas season, I think it'd be awesome for some of you to get your family around the room and say, listen, we're going to open some gifts and this is awesome. We're going to celebrate and we're going to have this meal. But I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to go around the room and, and I want to tell people like, this, this is what I celebrate about you. This is what I love about you. This is what, I, this is what makes me love you the most. Now I'm going to go ahead and warn you. If you don't want to cry during the Christmas season, then don't do this. We do something similar almost every Thanksgiving. It's one of the traditions at the Clark House. And, and we get around the table after the meal and we start just sharing something that we're thankful for. We're not even talking about somebody. We're talking about like we want to recognize what God has done and I'm thankful for this. And every time, it's like an emotional basket case at our house. Even though all of us laugh and cut up and be like, well, I ain't going to do you know. Because when we start thinking about what God's done, And when we start thinking about the people that matter the most, and when you start telling people your innermost feelings and what truly you celebrate in them, it's emotional. It's kind of like when we think about the ultimate father and that emotion that wells up in us when we realize that we were the prodigal son that we were the one that said, give me everything. I'll take the apple. I'll take the sin. Give me my inheritance. Let me do it on my own. And then all of a sudden, when we found ourselves in the pit with pigs, with a bunch of ungodly people, feeling unworthy and ashamed, and we sit on that brink of going, man, I would, God's touching my heart and I'd like to, like to pray to Jesus. I'd love to accept Jesus, my Lord and Savior, but, but I just don't feel worthy. I just don't feel, feel like I can, like I'm not worthy to be put as a son or daughter of the king. God, just let me serve you. 
Like, I'm just going to plug into the church. I'm going to serve you. And what you don't know is God's up there saying, no, 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 no. I, I got a ring for you. But it's not a ring you're going to wear on your finger. It's a ring that's a crown, and you put it on your head. And you're more than just my servant. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're prince and princesses. And no matter what you've done, you've never disqualified my role. And in my role, because I'm God, I define the circumstances. I define who you can or cannot be. I will choose when you've had enough. And me being God, I want you to have life and to have life more abundantly. And I want to set you up so that you can spend eternity with me that you're going to be such a great place that, listen, what you're going to walk around on is some of the most precious stuff on this earth. You're going to walk around on streets of gold. That pain and that hurt that you have, there'll be no more pain, no more tears. All that stuff and sickness and all that stuff that was caused by, by sin, it's gone. There is no death. There is no thistles. There is no disease. There is, there is no, it is perfect. And he said, and I go to prepare a place for you so that where I go, I can bring you with me. See, it goes back to several months ago with End Time Prophecy. You know what, God? He, he just wants to be with you. He loves you. And he has a home for you. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you don't miss out. Also, if you want to help support reaching more people with these life-giving messages, visit crossroadscommunitychurch.com slash give. Once again, thanks for listening.